in Job chapter 21 that we are in tonight, Job 21. I want to read to you Psalms 91. And in Psalms 91 it says this, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. Think about this. My God in whom I will trust. It says, Surely He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence, it tells us here. He shall cover you with His feathers, it tells us, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Wow, isn't that a promise from the Lord? That He is going to cover us with His wings and He, we shall take refuge and safety in His presence and He will now cover us from the perilous pestilence. You see, for the Word of God, there's no surprises. <laughs> there are no surprises in the Word of God and there are no surprises in the will of God. That's exactly why we want to stay in the will of God. You want to say, Lord, wake up my heart. I don't want to be a lukewarm church. I don't want to be the lukewarm church. I want to be a church that is fully trusting in you. Now we are in Job chapter 21. And a few weeks ago when we actually were in Job and we studied Job, we learned that Job here is having a conversation and a dialogue with his friends. And his friends are accusing him. They're accusing him of wickedness. They're accusing him of hypocrisy. And we see Job's responses now. In Job chapter 19 and 20, the last time we met in this series in the face of suffering, we saw that Job realized and he cried out in prayer of three things. That he knew that he had a Redeemer and that his Redeemer lives. Number one, he said, I know that I have a Redeemer. We picked that up from last time we studied Job. I have a Redeemer. Number two, I know that my Redeemer lives. And number three, because I know that my Redeemer lives, He can bring light now to the darkest moments of my life. Oh, isn't this so timely in the time that we're living in today that number one, I know that my Redeemer lives. Number two, that I know that I have a Redeemer. And number three, that because my Redeemer lives, He can bring light to the darkest moments of our life. And that's exactly why Job endured. Because he didn't fear his friends. He didn't fear what they thought about him. And that's the problem. Sometimes we fear what people think about us. Job didn't fear much. He didn't fear his friends. He didn't fear anything. In fact, the only thing that Job feared was God. And I want to ask you tonight, who do you fear? Because it's your fear of God that allows you to endure. Job endured. Job had courage because of his fear for God, his fear of God, his respect and his reverence of God. In fact, it has been said before that he had courage, courage to continue going. Do you have courage tonight to continue going in the situation that you're in? What is courage? Someone once said that courage is grace under pressure. <laughs> Maybe you've been feeling the pressure lately. But courage is using grace while you're under pressure. You see, here we see that God had a fresh supply of grace every single day to meet the need in Job's life. And just like God had a fresh supply of grace to meet the life of Job and to meet the need of Job in every situation that he was in throughout every chapter that we read of in this book, he has enough grace 
that we can use under pressure. And you know what that looks like? It looks like courage. How much courage are you using today? How much uh, of grace under pressure are you utilizing today? Because you cannot trust God. You cannot trust God. You cannot use grace under pressure until you first fear God. A lot of times we say we, we trust God, but if you don't fear God, you will never trust Him. It takes for a man and a woman that fears God to know that they trust Him. Have we lost fear for God today? Have we lost fear for God? I mean, having fear in all the right places, not fear in what people think, not in fear in what everyone else is talking about, but fear for God, because today we were becoming more scared of a virus now, of being infected or, or becoming sick, and we stay away from anything and anyone that will possibly infect us. We create space, we create distance, we have rules, we have set boundaries now. We do not want to become infected. We, we don't want to go somewhere where it will compromise our health. But when was the last time that we as believers thought about sin that way? I'm not going to go anywhere where I can be infected. I'm going to stay six feet away from that. <laughs> I'm going to draw the line. I'm going to have some boundaries. I'm not going to go around anything or anyone that can infect me with the sickness of sin because I care about my spiritual health. And when I ask you today, do you care about your spiritual health? You see, it's the fear of God, the same fear that Job had, the fear for God. And that's what kept him going, that fear, that courage, that grace under pressure that Job had. You know, Phillips Brooks, a Bible commentary, commentator, said this, The truest help we can render to an afflicted man, the truest help that we can render to an afflicted man is not to take his burden from him, but to call out on his best, best strength that may be able to bear it. You see that the best help that we can offer someone, and Job's friend needed to realize that the best help that they can offer to Job wasn't to remove his burden. And in your struggle right now, the best help that someone can give you is not to remove that burden, but to give you now your best strength, that you would utilize your best strength to bear that burden. And our best strength is our trust in the Lord. And today, more than ever, as a church, we need to utilize our trust in the Lord, our fear of God, to bear the burden now that we're feeling. Let's read it. Job chapter 21 now. As we see here that Job responds. What does he respond to? He's responding now to the accusations of hypocrisy. He's responding to the accusations that he's an evil and a wicked man, and therefore he's suffering. But Job has a bigger worldview than that. His worldview is, I may not know the answers, but I know who is in control. Let's think about it. If that was the theme of your life, I don't know the answers, but I know who's in control. I don't know the answers to the test, but I know who's in charge. <laughs> it's the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray right now. And as we pray, we're also going to pray for the tithing and the giving. Because we know that God is meeting every single one of our needs, even as we meet here over in an online platform. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. And we ask right now, Lord, that if, if, if any of us have lost the fear of God, that You would bring that fear back. That's the kind of fear we do want. 
I pray, Lord, that we would set boundaries to not let ourselves get caught into things that maybe, Lord, will bring sin into our lives, sin in the camp. That we would fully, Lord, distance ourselves from those things. And that the only fear that we would, Lord, foster, cultivate, is a fear for God. I ask that that would be our greatest strength. Lord, I even thank you for the giving, the generosity of your church, that although they are not coming to a physical location, they are still being the church because they give, because they go. We are going to be a church that gives and that goes. In Jesus' name we pray. And wherever you are, today you say, Amen. So we are at Job chapter 21 as he's answering these accusations. And he's going to, in this chapter, talk about the problem of the prosperity of the wicked. He thinks this is unfair that the wicked get away with their sin. And however, they're so blessed in life. They have everything going for them. Have you ever thought that maybe in your life? Well, how is it that that person that is not walking with the Lord, they're enjoying everything in life. And here I am, God-fearing person. I had it all and the Lord stripped me away from everything. How is it that God allows this to take place in my life? But not ever do it or exercise that in the life of the wicked. And let's, let's read Job 21. Then Job answered and said, he's answering his friend, his friend Zophar, which accused Job of hypocrisy and of sin. And he pleads against the wicked and he pleads also against his friends. And look what he says here in Job chapter 1. Then Job answered and said, listen carefully to my speech and let this be your consolation. His friends were attacking him. <laughs> he felt the pressure. Now think about a man that needed grace under pressure. This is Job. Courage is born under pressure. You want to know a man that has courage, a woman that has courage, are those individuals that felt the pressure and utilized that grace of God. Now it says here now, Job, listen carefully to my speech and let this be your consolation or let this be your comfort. What was going to be their comfort? He says, if you want to provide me some comfort, let it be your silence and let it be when you listen to me. <laughs> You know, some of the most comforting things that we can do to other people or a form of silent, or a form of comfort is when we are silent and we are listening. The best comfort that we can provide to someone is sometimes your silence and while you're listening. Because that's exactly what Job is saying. Extend to me at least comfort in that way that you're going to listen and you're going to be silent. And in verse 3 it says, bear with me. Underline the word bear in your Bible. He's saying, have patience with me. Have patience with me, verse 3, that I may speak. And after that I have spoken, keep mocking. He says, I want you to bear with me. Just have a little bit of patience. Listen to me. And after I'm done, then you can continue mocking me. But I like that word that it says bear, because this is a word that we as Christians should learn, memorize, underline, highlight, that it should be embedded in our hearts. Bear. You know what bear means? It means to have patience. It means to carry one another's burdens. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, if you'd like to write this down, it says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are called to bear with one another's burdens. Not only are we called to bear with one another's burdens, we're called to bear their burdens in Galatians 6 and tells us with a spirit of gentleness. That's exactly why for us as Christians, 
as a disciple, as a man and woman of God that fears God, you should always approach suffering, whether it's in your life or in someone else's life. You should approach suffering with compassion and with convictions. How do you approach suffering? These men did not approach suffering with compassion. They did not approach suffering with humility. They did not approach suffering with convictions. They approached suffering with pride. As a believer, are you approaching suffering with compassion and with convictions? But this is exactly what here Job is telling them. Bear it with me. Have patience with me in a spirit of gentleness. Today we need to have that spirit of gentleness to bear with one another's burdens. Let's continue reading here because from, from verse 4 to verse 16, he's going to consider now how, how the prosperity of the wicked. And look how he describes it in these later verses. As for me, my complaint, as for me, is my complaint against a man? Do you think it's against man that I'm complaining? No, it's not. And if it were, why should I be impatient? Do you think that I'm complaining now against man? No, my complaint is not against man. In fact, what I'm talking about, what I'm saying, this complaint is against God. In fact, I, I want to take this up to the Lord because it's God who put me here. And if it's God who put me here, it's, He is the only one that can take me out. That's why I'm patient. Because I know it's the Lord's doing. I know it's the Lord's working. And it's nobody else. It's only the Lord. And he's saying, I, I'm not put, taking this up with man. I'm taking this up with the Lord. I want the Lord to answer me. Verse here, 5. Look at me and be astonished. I want you to look at me and be astonished. I want you to look at me and, and, and look what he even says. Put your hand over your mouth and, and be shocked at what I'm going through. He wants them to feel some kind of compassion. Because this crisis... The crisis of Job is the same crisis that me and you are going through today. It's not a, a physical one. It's not an a, a emotional crisis. It's much more than a medical crisis as well. His crisis was fundamentally a spiritual crisis. And that's the kind of crisis that is the greatest need. Far more than an economic crisis is a spiritual crisis. And he's wondering, where is the Lord? Where is God in the, in the midst of this very dark time? And he's going to challenge his friends to, to just think about if the wicked can prosper, if the wicked can, can, can seemly be in a place where they are blessed, don't you think that God can also allow an innocent man to suffer? He's trying to change their perspective. And he wants them to understand that he's looking at everything through the hands of God. What is that God is doing? It is God who put me here. It is only God that will remove me from this location. That's why I'm taking this up with God, not man. And that's why I'm being patient. Because I know who's in control. When you know who's in control, it helps you be patient. Now it says here, put your hand over your mouth. Even when I remember, I'm terrified. And my trembling takes hold of my flesh. Verse 6. Um, I am just trembling now. I am. I understand. I want you to be uh, just astonished and in shock. It says, why do the wicked live and become old? Why is it that the wicked live long and become powerful? And look what he says about them. Yes, become mighty in power. Their descendants are established with them in their sight. They even have a big family now. Look how blessed the wicked are and their offspring before their eyes. 
They have big families and children. It says their houses are safe from fear. Their houses are secure. They, they have, they're not scared about anything. They, they have the best security. Now the wicked now, neither is the rod of God upon them. God's judgment, God's rod, God's discipline is not upon them. They live without any fear of judgment from God. And look what he's saying. They live with the alley conscience of acknowledging the Lord. They live without a conscience of knowing that they will have to answer to God. And look how blessed and happy they're living their lives. And here I am, Job. This is unfair. This is unjust of what I'm going through. I need God to step in. I need to take my case before the Lord. He goes on in verse 9 and in verse 10 it says, the, the, Their bull breeds without failure. Their animals are fruitful. And it doesn't fail. You just have to think about for Job how, how this can possibly be easy for him to understand and handle. Their cows and calves without miscarriage, their, their, their animals don't ever have a miscarriage or, or, or failure without any time. They, they send forth their little ones like a flock and their children dance. They sing, verse 12, to the tambourine and harp and rejoice to the sound of flute. They spend their days in wealth. Verse 13, look at they're singing, they're dancing, they're going to the grave in peace, it's going to tell us. And in a moment, they go down to the grave. They live a happy life. And that happy life that they live, they live it all the way to the day they die. And these are the people that live without a conscience that one day they'll have to answer to God. Why is it that they can get away with such lifestyle? Why is it that they don't have to go through this the way I have to when I have a fear for God? Yet they say to, they say to God, depart from us. Look at these ungodly people that are not going through the same thing that I'm going through. That's Job's mentality right now. Why is it that they can get away from it? And look at their attitude. Verse 14, they say to God, Depart from us, for we do not desire the knowledge of your ways. They're saying, God, you, we don't need you. The wicked say that. They're saying, God, we don't want anything to do with you. That's what they're saying. They're rebelling against God. They're rejecting God. And look what else they say here. Who is the Almighty that we should serve Him? <laughs> Why do I need God? I have everything I need. You see, that is the mentality of, of the godless person. Why is it that I need God when I have everything I need? And this is what he's describing now. The lifestyle of the person that's saying, I am full of pride. I don't need the Lord. And he says, and what profit do we have if we pray to Him? There are a lot of people that believe that there is no one hearing when they're praying. And they're saying, why am I going to pray? Who's going to hear me? Why do I have to submit against God? Why? Because they think that the in and of themselves are prospering in their own way. And what they're, what they're thinking is that I'm self-sufficient. I'm independent. I don't need anyone in my life. I have built this for myself. But Joey's saying here, it's God who's in control. It is God who's in control. And let, let's read this here. In, in verse 13 and 14, they spend their days in wealth and in a moment go down to the grave. They say to God, depart from us, for we do not desire the knowledge of your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve Him? And what profit do we have if we pray to Him? Indeed, their prosperity is not in their hand. It is the Lord that's even given them that. It is the Lord that's given us everything. It's the Lord that has provided for every one of our needs. The counsel of the wicked is far from me, they say. And look what he says here in verse 16. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. You know what Job is saying after he describes their mentality? He said, but that's not the way I think. You see, some people think that. They think, you know what, I, I don't need the Lord. I, I'm self-sufficient. I've built this, but that's not 
my style of thinking. That is not my philosophy of life. You see, it, it's so sad because when people lose spiritual vision, they don't acknowledge the Lord with, for whatever thing that they have. And they start to, to, to think that I, in and of myself, have done this. It's my hard work that has done this, but God gave you the ability to work hard. And, and if, if He wanted to, He can take away your breath now so that you're not able to work hard and build or to expand or to grow and to do the things that, that you need to go. That's why it's so important for us to maintain spiritual vision. It's the Lord who has done this. Whatever the Lord blesses us with, it comes from the Lord. It's the hand of the Lord. I will never reject the Lord. I will always acknowledge the Lord in my life for every blessing. And here he's acknowledging the Lord for every blessing. He's saying, I'm going to acknowledge the Lord. Because I know it's the Lord that blesses. And my philosophy of life is not like the wicked. That thinks I don't need God. What is your philosophy in life? That you don't need God. That you have everything that you need, so you don't need the Lord. That, that your heart is exalted, your heart is puffed up, your heart, or your heart is proud. Though You know what? Things are going good. Why, why should I need God? I have everything I need. Now let's keep reading here in verse 17. It says, how often is the lamp of the wicked put out? How often does the destruction come upon them? He's describing, it's unfair. Look, at they, they never have to suffer the way that I have to suffer. And look what, what everything that I'm going through here in verse 17. There are sorrows. God distributes in His anger. They are, like, uh, they are like straw before the wind and like shaft that storm carries away. They said, God lays up one's iniquity for His children. Let Him recompense Him that He may know it. Now from verse 17 here and verse 18 and 19, what He's saying, you know what? Destruction doesn't come upon them. They never experience sorrow. And they never experience any type of now retribution for their sins and their lifestyle. And, and look what he's saying. Do you think they're like the wind that just gets blown to and fro? No, absolutely not. They're not like that. But they should be punished, Lord, he's saying in verse 19. I want them to feel justice the way I feel it. Have you ever felt that? I want them to suffer the way I've suffered. Why is it that I, an innocent man or woman that has just held my ground and my faith and my integrity, why is it that I'm the one that has to go through things, but everyone else that, that is turning their back against God, they don't have to go through these things? Well, that's exactly what Job is feeling right now. And he's saying, don't, don't save the punishment for their children. Don't save the punishment for after they die. Let them feel the punishment right now. Let them suffer right now. Let them experience what I experience. Why is it that only I have to experience it now and they don't have to experience it? In fact, let's keep reading in verse 19 and 20. Let him recompense him that he may know it. Let them know. Let them be recompensed for their wickedness, for, for everything that they're doing and rejecting the Lord and rebelling to the Lord and, and their style of thinking that they don't need the Lord. Let his eyes see his destruction. Don't save it for their children. Let them see the wrath and let him drink of the wrath of the Almighty. Let him experience it. What wrath of the Almighty? It's the cup of judgment. It's the anger of God. Let him experience the anger of God. For what does he care about? His household after him? When, he, when the number of his months is cut in half, do you think he cares, Lord? And he's telling his friends, do you think that, that, that these wicked people care now? Do you think that they care in regards to uh, what happens to their families when they die? They just want to live a happy life. They want to live a selfish life. The common denominator when it comes to a person that is walking away from the Lord, a person that is not walking with the Lord, is selfishness. 
selfish. They just live for themselves. But we as believers, we don't live for ourselves. We live for the Lord, and we love the Lord, and we love our neighbors, and we serve one another. Now let's keep reading here in verse 22. From verse 22 and verse 26, it says, God is wise and is in control. I might not understand why this happens. I might not understand why their situation looks like this and my situation is this way. It, it might seem unfair to me. <laughs> I, I might not get it. But I know that God's in control. So for me, even though I don't understand it, I have to be fine with that. <laughs> and there are a lot of things that, that maybe you don't understand. You don't get why the situation is unfair for you. But for someone else, they don't experience that. But you must be fine with one thing. God is in control. You must come now to the realization and say, I, I yield, I submit to that one thing that God is in control. Who do you think is in control today? It is the Lord. It is the Lord that's in control. It is the Lord that sees us through. It is the Lord that, that is always watching over us. And in verse 22, he says, Can anyone teach God knowledge? Do, do I think that I can question God, His wisdom, and His ways? Can anyone teach a lesson to God? He's the, he's the most powerful judge. And, and, and no one can teach the Lord here in verse 23. Since He judges those on high, there's no one that judges Him. He judges others. One dies and is full of strength and, and being holy at ease and secure. His, here it says, His pails are full of milk, and His marrow now of His bones is moist. Another man dies. There's one that dies this way, that is full, that is rich, that is blessed. And he doesn't understand this, but this is the reality. One person dies full of strength, and with property, and with blessing. Verse 25, look how another person dies. Another man dies in the bitterness of his soul, never having eaten with pleasure. Why is it that some people live a life of suffering? And then other people live a life of blessing and of prosperity and of pleasure. And they both die the same way. Look how he's reflecting on the human life. Verse 26, they lie down in the dust. They both go and they're buried the same way to the dust. And the worms cover them. They both die the same way. Why is it that some experience one thing and the other experience the other? But I know one thing, God is in control and I cannot question His wisdom. I cannot question His ways. God is in control. We cannot, quest we cannot question His wisdom. And we cannot question his ways. Now look what he says from verse 27, because he's challenging his friends now. And he says, look, I know your thoughts. Look, I know what you're thinking about me. <laughs> and he says this, and the schemes which, which here says, you would wrong me. I know how you would accuse me even. I know what your thoughts are against me now. And this is what you're thinking. For you say, verse 28, where is the house of the prince? And where is the tent of the dwelling place of the wicked? Because you're asking, where is the house of those that are living wickedly? You're saying, where is the house of those that are living wickedly? Come on, Job, show us then. If the wicked get away, then show us where their house is because you're wicked, Job, because you're sinful, Job, and the Lord's taking everything away from you. So what you just said is wrong. What is Job saying? Job is trying to make them realize, just, just like the Lord is in control of a man and a person that is living a life of prosperity in their wickedness, in their sin, so likewise, God can allow and He can permit for an innocent and just and godly person to undergo testing and suffering. And it has nothing to do whether they were guilty or not. It is the hand of God behind it. And He's making a contrast here. And He's saying, well, show us then. Where's the wicked, where, where are the wicked houses? Look at your house. Your house is wiped away. 
And he says, have you not asked those who travel the road and, and do you not know their signs now? Look, he says, don't you just ask, just ask someone around. The evil people are spared. Evil people do get away with it. <laughs> but the hand of God is behind it and that's what I have to be okay with. I have to find my sufficiency in that. Verse 30, for the wicked are reserved for the day of doom. Look, they're reserved now. They shall be brought out on the day of wrath. Guess what? At the end of the day, Job is saying, everyone will see justice. Everyone will see justice. Those that are rich, the poor, those that decided to reject God, everyone will see justice. And their justice is not going to be an answer to man. Their justice is going to be an answer to God. And he says, who condemns his way to his face and who repays him for what he has done? Yet he shall be brought to the grave and a vigil kept over the tomb. Look at even these people that have such an honorable death that they, they do a big vigil and, and they take him now to the tomb and the clouds of the valley shall be sweet to him. Everyone shall follow him as countless have gone before him. There are people that, that live with a, with a big and great funeral and respect and a sweet goodbye and those that are not following the Lord. Just like that, they'll still have to answer to God. They will still have to answer to God. How then can you comfort me with empty words? If this is the, the, the truth, if the truth cannot be compromised, then how is it that you can comfort me with empty words since falsehood, notice this word falsehood, remains in your answers. What is falsehood here? It, falsehood means transgression. It remains in your answers. This transgression now that is remaining, these empty words now, these lies that you're speaking against me, how is it that you're going to comfort me with lies? You will never comfort anyone with anything but the truth. It is the truth that is wrapped in grace. It is the truth that is wrapped in compassion. It is the truth that is brought with conviction that brings comfort to someone. But you know what he's telling them? You can't explain God's ways and neither can I. <laughs> we can't explain God's ways. And why is he saying this? Because he's saying, I'm not, I'm not guilty, I'm innocent. We cannot explain God's ways as to why this has happened to me. Only God can. You see, both Job and his friends didn't understand. They really didn't understand God's ways. But the biggest difference between Job and his friends was that Job admitted, I don't know what God's doing. His friends thought, we do know what God's doing. <laughs> And that's the worst thing that we can do sometimes, to be able to say, Look, I know what God's doing. I, 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 I'm self-righteous. I know what's taking place in that person's life, and I'm going to call it. There are times that are better than we say, we're just going to see what the Lord's going to do. Let, let's just wait and see what the Lord's going to do, because this really was an attitude shift for Job. And we see that his, 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 his complaints against these false doctrines and these calamities, these complaints start to now go away. You don't hear so much of these complaints. We don't find no more murmurings from his mouth or that he is uh, unsatisfied or he is complaining anymore, because now he is a man that has a, he's the full master of himself and of his mind. And look how his attitude changes here. Because there's going to be an argument against him from his friend here in chapter 22, Eliphaz, or Eliphaz. And the argument of his friend now, after Job has said all of this, his argument is that God is distant. You don't know God, and God is judging you, Job. <laughs> you don't know nothing about God. But God is not distant. We may think that God is distant. He is not distant. God is very near to every single one of our situations. It was Matthew Henry that said this, the God of Israel, the Savior, 
is sometimes a God that hides himself, but never a God that absents himself. Sometimes in the dark, but never at the distance. There are moments in our lives when there is darkness, and you say, man, this is a dark moment of our life. It doesn't mean that God is not present. He is there maybe in the dark, but He's never in the distance. God is very near. And look how He accuses His friend quickly as we read in, in chapter here 22, as He brings this, this element of hypocrisy and of wickedness. And hypocrisy, we better be careful of hypocrisy. Because he's going to test the character of Job. He's accusing the character of Job now. The problem with hypocrisy is that it destroys character. And he's going against his character. <laughs> Just like the enemy is going to want to come against your character. The moment that, that the enemy or, or that hypocrisy can come into your life, you know what happens when hypocrisy comes into your life? It, it destroys your character. And when character is gone, when the salt has lost its flavor, what do you have left? Nothing. Nothing. When soul has lost its flavor, you have nothing left. When, when you've lost your character because of hypocrisy, what do you have left? You see, the, the highest reward for a faithful life, even like Job, even maybe yourself, that you're living a faithful life in the middle of suffering, it's not what you get for it. A lot of times we're going to say, you know, I had to go through all of this, but what am I going to get for it? It's not what you get for what you go through. It's what you become. Don't, don't come out of suffering saying, what am I going to get out of this? Ask yourself, what am I going to become because of this? What are you becoming because of the things that we're living through right now? Because of the, the, the situations that we're going through, are you becoming anything? And I pray that we don't, we, don't, we don't come out of this season that we're going through. We don't come out of this season the same way that we went in it. That we would become something and something different, something beautiful, something of the image of Jesus Christ. Let's just read here, verse 1 through 3. It says, Then Eliaphaz the Tiamai answered and said, Look how he's going to now attack Job's character, just like the enemy wants to attack our character. And he's going to say that, that you're a prideful Job. That why is it that you think that God owes you something? Why is it that you think that, that you can be arrogant and prideful in the, in the presence of God? And it says, can a man be profitable to God? You think that you, you make any difference to God? You think that you're useful to God, Job? Though he who is wise may be profitable to himself. You think that you profit God anything? Why do you think that you're blameless before Him? You think that, that God has any advantage in you being righteous? Why is it that you have this case? He wanted Job to consider that God does not need anything from Job, and that Job added nothing to God. Now, although this is true, this is not the case, <laughs> because Job is an innocent man. It says here in verse 3, Is there any pleasure to the Almighty that you are righteous, or is it any gain to Him that you make your ways blameless? You think that you give Him anything, that God, He gets anything from you being blameless? Just, just stop it with that case, Job. <laughs> Is it because of your fear of Him that He corrects you and enters you into judgment with you? Do you think that He's correcting you because you fear Him like you say you do? you think that's why He is now correcting you? Absolutely not. He's being a little sarcastic now with Job. And He enters into judgment with you. Is not your wickedness great and your iniquity without end? Look at Job. Let's be real. Your sin is without end and your, your, your sin has no limits. These, and He's going to accuse him falsely. He's going to make assumptions out of Job. From verse 6 to 9, look at this. Because look how he accuses them falsely. And he says, you have no compassion, you have no mercy. Let's read this. For you have taken pledges from your brother for no reason and stripped them naked of their clothing. 
Look, this is what you've done, Job. You show no mercy. You've lacked in mercy. You've lacked in compassion. That's why the Lord is doing this to you. You have not given to the weary water to drink, and you have, it says, and you have withheld from those that need bread from the hungry. But the mighty man possessed the land, and the honorable man dwelt in it. It says, you, you haven't had a heart for those that are poor. You, you haven't had a compassion. What was the Lord Jesus' heart? His, the Lord's heart, the heart for, of our Lord Jesus Christ, was always a heart for the poor. was always a heart for the needy. Here he's blaming that the nature of God is not one that would withhold good from those that are poor. And he's saying here, look at what you've done, Job. This is your life. And you have sent widows away empty. Not even those that are widows. Have you given them anything and the strength of the fatherless was crushed now? You've taken advantage of those that are fatherless? He's accusing Job of these false lies. Just like the enemy will want to come and accuse us of, of false lies. Now it says, therefore, snares are all around you because of this. There are traps around you and you're trembling and you're scared and you cannot see the darkness and the waters that cover you or that cover the godless man. Verse 10 and 11. Therefore, snares are all around you and sudden fear trouble you or darkness so that you cannot see in the abundance of waters covers you. You see how this is interesting and in, in, in when we read it now? The waters are covering you. Verse 12. He, he, he attacks now what Job believes. And he says, Is not God in the high of heaven and sees the highest stars? He's talking about God being a distant God now. He's greater. He's higher in the heavens. He doesn't listen to you, Job. He doesn't think you're innocent. And he sees the highest stars, how lofty they are. And you say, What does God know? How, can he judge, though, the deep darkness? Thick clouds cover him so that he cannot see. And he walks above the circle of heavens. Look what he's reading this. And he says here, you know, he, 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 now he's saying thick clouds cover him so that he cannot see. And he walks above the circle of heaven. Will you keep the old way which the wicked men have trod? Are you going to live just like wicked men from the past? Who were cut off before their time? Who had to die before their time was to die? Whose foundations were swept away by a flood? Now notice that, underline that flood, it gives us a time. A time in which this book was written, talking about the flood. When was man cut off before their time because of a flood? Noah's time, Noah's days, right? The same wickedness that they displayed, Job, is the wickedness that you're living in. They say to God, look, at this is the wicked man's attitude. They say to God, depart from us in pride. What can the Almighty do to them? Look how they are prideful, yet they are filled with houses with good things, with the counsel of the wicked that are far from me. The righteous see it and are glad and the innocent laugh at them. Now he's saying, you know, the true righteous, they see justice and they honor justice. But you don't honor the justice that God is doing in your life, Job. And he's, he, look, at he's as he is accusing him, surely our adversaries are cut down and the fires consume their remnant. They're consumed now. Now, from verse 21 on to verse 30, he's going to tell him, just submit to God. Just acquaint yourself to God, and God's going to remove this from you. And then you'll be able to minister to other people. Then you'll be able to help people. But come on, Job, just, just get it together. Now, acquaint yourself with Him. Underline that, acquaint yourself with Him. What does he tell him? God is distant, but you must acquaint yourself. Acquaint yourself means submit yourself to Him. We must all learn to acquaint ourselves. This is true. If you have not acquainted yourself, how can you ever be at peace with Him? 
How can you have peace with God? How can you have the peace of God if you haven't acquainted yourself? It says, and thereby good will come to you. And then you will experience the goodness of God and receive, please, instruction from His mouth. Then you will receive the correction from His mouth and lay up His words in your heart. Store up those words that He's trying to tell you, Job. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you just return, then you will be built up and He will remove the sin from your life. He will remove iniquities far from your tents, even from your house. Then you will lay up your gold in the dust. What is he accusing him of here in verse 24? He's saying, look, you, you, you give up your lust for money, Job. Just give it up. You're struggling with this money thing. You're so upset because God took it away. And it says here, and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brooks. Yes, the Almighty now, the Almighty, let him be your gold. Let him be your treasures, he's telling him. He's assuming, assuming that Job is trusting in his money. And he's saying here, and your precious silver, for then you will have your delight in the Almighty. Let him be your delight. Let him now be your treasure now. And lift up your face to God. How can you lift up your face to God? What does it mean when we're lifting our face up to God? What does that mean like? Number one, to lift up your face to God, it means that you have the joy in God. Number two, to lift up your face in God or to God. Lift up your face to God. It means that you have put all your guilt and your shame away. To lift up your face, it means to be free from fear. And he said, you're going to experience all this when you just repent, Job. Just lift up your face to God, Job. Now let's read here in verse 27. You will make your prayer to him. Look, at, then you'll be praying, and he will hear you. He doesn't hear you right now because you're sinning, Job. And you will, be, you will pay your vows to him. You'll be able to be a man that's honorable to him. And look what it says. And you will also declare a thing and it will be established for you. So light will shine on your ways. And then you will cast you down. And when they cast you down, you will say exaltation will come. Then he will save the humble person. When you humble yourself, you know that the Lord will raise you up, Job. The Lord is going to save the humble person. He will save the humble person. It says here, and He will even deliver one who is not innocent. He will be delivered by the purity of your hands. Job, it's when you repent of your iniquities and now God would use your prayer to help someone else, to minister to someone else, to minister to the weak, to minister to those that are in need. But He cannot do that unless you repent, Job. Unless your hands are pure. Look what it says in verse 30. Unless your hands are pure. And you'll be able to pray for that person and save and restore and rescue because God uses the pure hands, Job. But do you see these false theology, this, this misconception? Let's read verse chapter 23 quickly because this is where the theme of today's message even comes from. And in Job 23, Job desires to appear before God and he's crying out his inability. How come I can't meet God? He said, Lord, I want to just meet with God. He has a prayer now. He wants a personal meeting with God. I pray that tonight you would want a personal meeting with God. That, that you would even, after the study, you would close your Bible. You would close, <laughs> turn off the TV and say, Lord, I want a personal meeting with you. I open your Bible and say, Lord, speak to me. And look what his prayer is. Even today, my complaint is bitter. Oh, I feel this bitterness. My hand is, is listless because of my groaning. Now I feel so weak. Notice verse 3. It says, oh, I want you to underline, oh, because this is the distress. This is the anguish. This is the anxiety that Job is feeling. Oh, he's feeling something. <laughs> oh, have you ever felt something? Maybe you're feeling something now. And look what his prayer is after, oh, that I knew where I might find him. Underline that church. Oh, I just, I just wish I knew where I can find him now, Lord. 
He didn't say, oh, I wish that the Lord can bring me back my children. Oh, I wish that He can give me my possessions. Oh, I wish that He would finally restore to me my health. My financial situation. Oh, I wish, what is He saying? That I knew where I might find Him. That I may come to His seat. I want to sit at His presence I want to be now before Him and I want Him to deliver me of my case. I want to go sit in that judgment seat and I want Him to acquit me. Are you so desperate to be in the seat of the Lord? Or do you want to say, Lord, I just want to be in your seat. I want to be there. I want to be sitting there. So I want a personal meeting so that He can take note of me and that He can declare me in that judgment seat innocent once and for all. Oh, that I would find Him. And it says here now, I will present my case before Him. Look what it says, my case, like if you were in a, in, a, in a courtroom. And I will fill my mouth with arguments. I would know that these words which he would answer me. I know that the Lord would answer me. It says here, and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me? Would, would he argue with me now in his great power? No, but he would take note of me. Look what he says, he would take note of me. Please notice this, because as we're going through these difficult times, these challenging times, the Lord is taking note of you. The Lord notices you. He will take note of me. He is not far from hearing your cry. Even in His great power, He is not far from hearing your cry. And look what He's saying. He is so confident that as He goes and He finds the Lord, that if He sits in the presence of God, He is so confident that He would find comfort, that He would find mercy at the throne of God. I want you to be confident tonight that when you go to the Lord, you can find compassion and grace and mercy at His seat. Oh, that I would find Him where He's at. You know how you find Him when you go to Him? You run to Him. And look what He says here in verse 7. There, there, there speaks of what? A place. A place, circle there in your Bible there. The upright could reason with him or those that are honest can be acquitted or delivered with him or by him and I would be delivered forever from my judge. There. I just want to be there. Because I know when I get there, I'm going to get mercy there. I know when I get there, I'm going to get compassion there. I know when I get there, I'm going to get deliverance there. Verse 8, look, I go forward and he's not there. I'm looking forward, I can't find him there. And I go backward and I, can, and I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. On the left, I can't see him. When I turn to the right, I cannot see him. I can't find the Lord. I need divine revelation. I go forward, I can't see him. I go backward, I can't see him. I go to one way or to another, but I cannot see him. He looked every way except upward. <laughs> and sometimes we look in all the wrong places, but we stop looking and say, Lord, I just need to look upward. I need to look upward today. And you see the distress, the anxiety of his soul that he's saying, I cannot find him. I need to find him. And he's disappointed. But our disappointments may be God's divine appointments. Your disappointment right now in life, wherever you may find yourself, may be God's divine appointment for you and him. God's divine appointment. In verse 10, look what he says. But he knows the way that I take. Underline that. He knows who is his trusted is in the Lord. The Lord knows the way that I take. He knows where I'm going. 
Right here, he, there was a little flame of, of most remarkable evidence of his tenacity, of his faith of Job. Oh, but the Lord knows. He knows the way that I take. In Psalms 1.6, write this down. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The Lord knows my way. He knows their way as well. Psalms 139, 1-3, please take note. O Lord, you have searched me. You know me. You know my ways. You know my sitting down, my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. God is familiar. He knows. He takes note. He knows now. He knows, verse, verse 10, the way that I take. He knows. What does this mean? Number one, write this down, please, church. Your faith is not forgotten. He knows. He knows that you have faith. Number one, your faith is not forgotten. He knows now the way that I take. Now, underline this please. Verse 10, this is a power, li power line. When. Not if. When. When He has tested me. The Lord has tested me. The Lord will test you. When He has tested me. What does this tell us? This is not a punishment for Job. This is a test. Think about this. This is not a punishment. This is a test now. When he has tested me, I shall, look what happens. I shall come forth as gold. How shall you come forth from this season? Because this can be a test for us as a church, or this can be a waste of time. <laughs> when I come forth, I shall come forth as gold now. I shall come forth with greater value as gold that is refined in the fire. He's saying not only this, my faith is not forgotten. There's not a pun this is not a punishment, but this is a test. And one day, this trial will come to an end and something good will come out of it even though I don't know. When he knows the way I, I, I should go, he knows the way I go, he has tested me. I shall come forth as pure gold. What, what happens? What does the Lord use? How does he come out as gold? Because he is now tested in the fire. And in the fire, gold is now melted of its impurities. It's free of guilt. And Job is saying, I'm going to be free of this guilt because faith is much more precious now than gold. And it's tested in the fire. Do you see the divine intervention, the divine appointment now? What's the furnace for in your life? The furnace in your life is to make you a better man. It's to make you a better woman. And, and the furnace is needed. In, in the, the nation of Israel needed the furnace in Egypt. The nation of Israel needed the furnace in the wilderness. We all must go through the furnace experience. In Isaiah 48 verse 10 it says, Behold, I have refined you. The Lord is saying, I am refining you right now. But not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. You see how the Lord uses fire? The Lord uses the furnace now. In 1 Peter 6, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, that now for a little while, it's just a little while, it's just a season, if need be, you being grieved by various trials, you may be have sorrow through various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, perishes, it's tested by fire. It may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ that after it's been tested in the fire, it may praise God because it lasted, because it endured now. 1 Peter 4.12, what does it talk about the fiery trial? Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some, as though some strange thing has happened to you. Because it's when we go through the fire, it's not about how we go in, it's about how we come out of the trial. How do you come out of the fire? 
You're being tried. You're being tested. You're going to come out as pure gold. You're going to come out more diligent, more patient, more faithful, more enduring, more godly, because in the fire, it's character in the making. <laughs> it's almost as if the Lord has a sign outside of that His furnace is character in the making. You know, when God puts people in, His people in the furnace, you know what He does? He'll put His people in the furnace. And then He keeps His eye on the clock. And He puts His hand on the thermostat. Because He knows how long and He knows how much. And today, God knows how long. And today, God knows how much. He knows how long He needs to keep you in there. He knows how hot it's going to get. But at just the right time, He's going to take you out of there. And if you submitted to Him while you were there, you're going to come out a different person, a different man or woman. You know what's interesting about this? That gold is not scared of fire. <laughs> because that's where character is made. Warren Worsby said this, some people will go into the furnace of affliction and it will burn them. And others will go in and its experiences purifies them. What makes the difference is their attitude towards the word of God and the will of God. I want to ask you today, what are you doing in the furnace? What are you doing in the furnace? Because he's saying, when I'm being tested, I'm going to come forth as gold. The Lord knows how much. The Lord knows how long. And when you come forth, notice this, when I come forth, it says here, I'll come forth as gold. You're going to come different than the way you stepped in. Can we pray that this time that we are in with, that, that, that the Lord has put us here, that you would say, Lord, I'm not going to question your ways or your wisdom. I know that in the furnace experience, it's where you are known to build character. So build the character of your church, Lord. Build it now. Build it tonight. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, for your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, because Job tells us, and when he has tested me as fire, I shall come forth as gold. He knows the way that I take. His faith is not forgotten. His trial will come to an end and something good will come out of it. I pray that we would remember those truths tonight and Lord, that we would apply them. In Jesus' name we pray. And together tonight we all said, Amen.